You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to the Phys Ed Podcast. I'm glad to have you again for another chat around science and STEM and all that sort of thing. And I can tell you what, today is well worth a chat around interactive video conferencing with Lee Gamble. If you haven't come across Lee, you will definitely recognize it as an amazingly cool person who loves science in so many ways. I can tell you what, the work they do at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History is amazingly cool and interactive for all manner of audiences. Everyone from schools, preschools, retirement homes, you name it, they work with all sorts of people and they are very, very, very good at it. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this chat. Now, by the way, I've known Lee since 2014. I got to visit her space where they do their programs and it is an amazingly vibrant space to check out. Now, Lee actually has a very interesting background. She's worked in theatre arts and biology and really been able to combine both those passions in multiple jobs. She's worked as a children's theatre actor. She's worked at the Sea World of Ohio as an educator. She's also worked at the Great Lakes Science Centre as a public programs teacher. She's also worked as Mr. Wizard Travelling Performer and as an animal hospital vet tech and at the Health Space Cleveland as a health educator, just to name a few. Now, she does recount that when she was five years old, when she went to the Cleveland Museum of History back then, she did tell her father, I'm going to work here someday. And guess what? She does. <laughs> She's now the distance learning coordinator there, and she develops and has delivered heaps of programs. So seriously, right across the US and into 15 other countries amazingly cool stuff. So uh, let's get right into it. Listen to what Lee's been getting up to, and I really hope you enjoy this chat. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun, free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. My name's Lee Gamble. I live in Northeast Ohio, and I grew up in a very rural setting. Most, I call myself a country kid, so I grew up outside catching all the local wildlife and putting it inside of little tanks to look at for a couple days and then setting it free, snakes, toads, whatever I could find. And that's basically uh, what I do now in a virtual sense, is I teach video conference programs for the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, and my job is to show kids the research that happens at the museum. And that means now I get to roam around and pester the curators and see what they have in tanks and their research areas and show the children things like, ooh, look at this lovely tank full of beetles that are munching the flesh off of that bone. Is that how you clean a bone for display? Oh my goodness, yes it is. And that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell, looking at weird things in tanks and sharing the experience with the public. Oh, that's so cool. So do, you, do you reckon you always were going to be, go head into the museum sector, you know, as a, as a kid, is that, is that, did you often visit museums and things like that, or was it sort of just something that just came up over time? Going to the museum for me as a small child was a very big deal because we lived about an hour, granted I'm here in the U.S., you're in Australia, distances may be a little bit different here in, in our conception of them, uh, but I don't know if that, that's the right word, conception? Well, I'm going to go with it for now. <laughs> and we perceived the big city of Cleveland as being far, far away. It took about an hour to drive there. So we did not go very often, and it was a very special event. And as a little kid, when I was five years old, my father, I had just become a dinosaur maniac, loved drawing them, would get coloring books and, and change the animals into dinosaurs. I just love dinosaurs. And my father told me a story recently. He said, you know, when we went to that museum, 
and you were standing underneath that big fish. It's called a Dunkleosteus. And you turned to me as a little precocious five-year-old child and said, Daddy, someday I'm going to work at this museum. Hey, guess what? I work at that museum now. <laughs> that is so cool. And by the way, um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to visit your museum and Dunkleosteus is, it's a big thing. <laughs> it's much bigger it's than you big actually fish. realize. Yes. <laughs> quite the big fish um i mean you know bony plated crazy thing (laughs) it is indeed and what one of the coolest parts about our museum is that we try to feature mostly things that are unique to our region and that giant fish that armor-headed monstrosity used to live here in ohio when this piece of the earth was not in the current location it's in it was way down closer to the equator and covered with a shallow sea. So we have some of the most beautiful Devonian era fossils here in Ohio. And that's what I used to find as a kid. And I was always so confused. Why am I finding these ocean fossils here in Ohio? And now I work in a place that explains why that is. So when you have um, the public come through, I mean, it's like every museum, every natural history museum has lots of stuff. I mean, it's, it's really quite eclectic <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yes. I mean, <laughs> where, where do people tend to hang out more? out of all the different the galleries and bits and pieces, what tends to grab their attention the most? Yeah, I would say we have several exhibits that we refer to as our iconic exhibits, and each one of them has their own fan club. The primary, the one that comes to my mind first because it's my favorite exhibit is Balto, who is, it's the taxidermed remains of a Siberian husky that became very famous in 1925 for his role in leading a team of a musher and his team of dogs through a terrible storm. It's, this was up in Nome, Alaska. If your viewer, your listeners want to take a look, it's very, very remote. And it was a terrible blizzard. And there was a diphtheria outbreak and everybody was in quarantine. Gee, sound familiar, Ben? And Balto yes. helped to deliver medicine to that town and save, helped save the town. And when he died, he was living here in Cleveland because people in Cleveland had felt so passionately about the story that the city banded together and purchased him from a bad owner who was using him in a, in a sort of a vaudeville circuit circus act kind of situation and he spent his last six years in a luxurious heroes uh, paddocks over at the uh, the zoo and he got to play outdoors and have a good doggy life and when he died they taxidermed him and now there are many people all across this planet who are big fans of dog sledding and they make a trek to our museum once or twice a year specifically to go see balto and just revel in that nifty achievement so he's definitely an iconic critter there We also have Lucy, and if you don't know her by her common name, her scientific name is Australopithecus afarensis, and she was the amazing little hominin that was discovered back in 1974 by the man who was then the director of our physical anthropology department, that's the studying of of the human creature, and when she was discovered in Ethiopia, she changed the history books because we thought initially, when I say we, the collective brain of science right across the planet, assumed that humans developed big brains first and then maybe got around to that whole bipedal walking thing. But Lucy turned that upside down because she was a very small creature with a very small brain case, but she had hips exactly like modern humans. And when, and she was 3.7 million years old, right? So when he found this, Don Johansson was his name, it completely wiped out everything we thought we knew about our own evolution and, and it started a new process. So she has a lot of fan clubs who come in to see Lucy as well. Oh, I tell you what, I mean, like, that was one of the things that stood out for me. Mind you, it was, it was a lot of things. I mean, okay, guys, I, I visited, <laughs> I visited this museum, um, gosh, 2014. 
think so. Something like that. Was it that uh, long ago? That's I know. It's, it's a long, <laughs> long time ago on, on a fellowship to learn about video conferencing. And Lee 100% knows a lot about that. And we'll t- certainly t- talk about it very soon. But I actually, out of there are two museums in the world where I was, the jaw had to drop for me um, when I went, oh my God, that's the thing I've seen <laughs> and read about. Um, Lucy was one and also at the Rosetta Stone at the British, British Museum. Oh, in, right. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the thing. And Lucy is a <laughs> thing. So if you're into biology, seeing Lucy is like, well, it's, it's the Lucy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to have a set of her, the original casting. When I say a cast, it means a copy of the actual fossil piece because regulations indicate that once you just, if you're in a foreign country to yourself and you discover a fossil, you are allowed to temporarily bring it back to your home country. If that's where your laboratory is, you can do your research on it, but then it must be returned back to its, its location where it was found. So Lucy's real bones are back in Ethiopia now, but we have the original casts. So our casting technicians made these copies using molding casting techniques, actually putting their hands on the real bones, not a 3D printer like we would have today. And I have those casts up in my studio because I work Lucy into basically every program I teach because she is such an iconic creature. Absolutely. So this is the thing that really blows my mind about what's really cool about uh, museums being able to go out into the world. And you did mention studios, so I do want to talk about this. I mean, it's something you've done for many, many years. The ability to connect people with, you know, iconic things is so amazing. You know, it's it's actually quite a privilege when you think about it Uh, and being able to bring that out to the world. Now, clearly this year, it's been uh, something that you very much have been doing. Uh, So Mm -hmm. how... So describe that, I mean, you have a vast suite of programs that are available, not just for schools, but all all over the place. I mean, just describe some of those. I'd love to hear a bit more about them. I'd love to. We we do have a lot and I don't teach all of them myself, but I teach quite a few of them because I'm in charge of our our video conferencing content. Um, One of the topics that we, not, I don't want to brag, but just to point out that this was kind of a big deal when it happened is we won the United States Distance Learning Association's award for innovation because when I first started at the museum you had to physically come to the museum to see our wildlife and we have this beautiful wildlife center uh, named after a person who donated some money so it's called the Perkins Wildlife Center and Woods Garden and in there we have native Ohio animals like bobcats and coyotes, bald eagles, river otters, all these animals you would very seldom see in the wild but they are animals that were injured in some way or are unable to hunt for themselves, so they must live with human care. And you had to come to the museum to physically see those animals. And then when we started doing video conferencing, we were doing hilarious things like bringing an opossum up to the studio and having it walk around like all those old talk TV shows like Johnny Carson saying, gosh, what, if, what animal have you put on my desk here? You know, And we would do a program like that, but it was still bringing the animal out of its normal space. So it was you know, uncomfortable for the animals. And then video conferencing extended into live streaming. Whoa, and we got our cameras ready and headed out into Perkins. And that was the the next level was taking your viewing audience directly live streaming out there so you could watch the crew feeding the otters or training the coyotes how to do something. And that was really cool to be a part of that process, the evolution of video conferencing from a very slow and annoying and frustrating process into the the smooth process that it can be today. So that's one, we we feature our, our live animals. We have programs about dinosaurs, obviously, because why would you come to a dinosaur museum and not (laughs) talk about dinosaurs? And we can go out there and, oh, stick the camera right in T-Rex's teeth. Whoa, so the viewers can appreciate how humongous those chompers really are. We have programs about astronomy, and our astronomy guys are amazing because even though you're not in a planetarium with that wonderful 
giant dome over your head, man, they do a great job on the small screen of really getting the audience excited about outer space and how phenomenal some of these giant star clusters and things are they're talking about. I don't teach that topic, but every time I watch them do it, it, it blows my mind. Those guys are really good at it. And uh, some of my favorite programs are teaching about the human body, nutrition, gross anatomy. And when I say that, I mean both ways to define the word gross, boogers and blood and digestion and all those wonderful things, as well as our own, our own um, organs. And we have a marvelous mix because we are a blend of the Natural History Museum and the old Health Museum of Cleveland, where I was working prior to the Natural History Museum. The two museums merged and became one. So we have a really cool combination of health classes and also your basic science classes too. That's so cool. And the thing is, though, like, I actually remember uh, one of the things that you had is even like the beekeeping kit, if I remember. Yes, yes. <laughs> that cool. was a really interesting, yeah, that was a good example of how if, if you throw us a curveball, we'll, we'll catch it. <laughs> we'll see if we can throw it back to you. And we had one, one school say, hey, our students are reading this really neat book called The Secret Life of Bees. Do you have anybody at your museum who knows about bees? And we happen to have a wonderful lady on staff, Nancy. And Nancy has a beehive at her house and does her own beekeeping and has all the equipment. So I said, hey, Nancy, you want me to buy you a clean beehive and we'll plunk it down here in the studio and you can talk about beekeeping. It was really fun. So now, yep, we have, we have a beehive <laughs> studio. No, no bees in the beehive, just the, the hive. Absolutely. <laughs> so here's the thing, like, obviously, um, I mean, you've been doing this for many years through, um, you know, traditional equipment, but these days we've got these web conferencing abilities. I mean, honestly, this mm -hmm. podcast has been recording on, on, on one of them. Um, mm -hmm. The way of connecting obviously is much easier and yet it's also brought its own challenges in that um, you're dealing with vast array of people with different devices and different connectivity ability and different access to materials. I mean, how, how are you handling just that variety of people? <laughs> it is amazing because now you've got multiple generations working together too. You've got like grandparents sitting with their little grandchildren wanting to watch a program and you're trying to develop content that's going to speak to both of those ages. So it's not just the equipment. And there's, there's a fine line between keeping it simple so you know it's going to work but making it technologically cool enough that you're going to retain your audience's interest. And I would say for anyone who wants to dip their toe or any other part of their anatomy into the virtual pool of teaching, that your best friend is going to be a second camera. If there's any way that you can get yourself a USB cable, hook up an iPad to your computer. My, my favorite hack is using QuickTime to then use that iPad as a, as a document camera. And that way you can switch from just the built-in camera on your main computer, just seeing say your face or your torso, all of a sudden to a totally different point of view. Even if it's exactly next to you on the table, your audience can't tell. All they know is all of a sudden, whoa, the camera has shifted. And now I'm looking at something from a different perspective. And it brings that television quality to your, to your presentation. And that makes it look very, very slick, I gotta say. It's one of the cruel things about having multiple cameras. It makes a huge difference with production. I mean, the TV, absolutely what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Five minutes of presentation in any uh, program, it can have, gosh, five, six, seven, eight camera angles sometimes. I mean, let's be honest, we all can't do that. We can't all have five cameras or so. But even just having an extra one, it does break up the visual appearance and therefore grabs your attention just a little bit more. And the fact that you're strapping an iPad to it, I mean, totally you can do that with a, a lightning to uh, HDMI adapter and suddenly you're in. Uh, it totally works because suddenly you can also share apps and mm -hmm. YouTube and all that stuff. And it totally works. Absolutely. 
Uh, one other item, I, or I shouldn't say item, but one other technique I would say is don't forget that your audience is human and they know that you are too. And they have been doing lots of online things and expect sometimes that the bandwidth is going to drop or the audio is going to go out or the picture is going to freeze. And just kind of embrace that as part of the new strange virtual world that we're experimenting with. One of my favorite things I did with a class the other day, they were a bunch of seventh graders. And as we all know, if anyone has taught seventh graders, they are watching carefully for you to mess up because that's part of the fun. <laughs> and at one point, my... Uh, my vision, my audio was still going, but the, but the picture had frozen because they were all saying, your picture is frozen. And so I said, okay, what's going to happen here is as soon as the picture starts moving again, I'm going to get my face off the screen and just put my hand up so you'll know when the picture comes back. I want all of you to immediately lock your face into whatever goofy face my face was in when it froze. <laughs> it was so funny because now I'm looking at 25 kids all aping my goofy face and it was a wonderful, just a goofy moment of, well, that was oh. fun. All right. That is okay. Um, that is so Lee. <laughs> that's a really cool. I'm sorry. Sorry, that's how I'm gonna describe it. That is such a really great engaging task. And really, what's cool about that is it's a complete. I mean, you you could say it's just straight up. You know, it got flubbed because the internet went. But you turn mm -hmm. it into an engagement activity. That's awesome, guys. If you're listening in, seriously, do that. <laughs> Feel free to steal that move. I welcome you too. <laughs> no, that's real. That's a lot of fun. And this thing is, it, there are no real rules with what you have to do. And honestly, the human side of it is real. Um, I mean, I suppose, I mean, just thinking about over, over the last couple of months versus the last few years about, you know, feedback if something went wrong. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, people, you know, because it was, it was seemed to be more like a production environment. You know, people expected to be quite slick. And of course we want to make things as slick as possible, but this, you know, because now other people have to now present their own stuff, they now can see from the other side, you know, the dark side, the presenter side, when things go wrong. <laughs> the reality is they do. And so how you <laughs> deal with it is, is actually what matters totally. I mean, actually just sort of thinking about this, I mean, the, if you imagine if you had a, I don't know, a brand new person is going to take over one of your distance learning rooms and, that, and you had to sort of think about what sort of advice you'd give them. You go, right, here's the... Uh, Here's the uh, meeting room uh, and you're on in, in, in a couple of hours. Um, what would be some sort of things that you'd suggest to them to sort of get their head around? Do you mean if that person was going to be then con conducting a program solo yes. or I would still be there with them? Uh, let's assume that uh, we've done the training and we, we know the program but they're about to be thrown to the wolves slash actually they're, they're running, running, running a program on wolves. Why not? <laughs> not throwing, I don't know. Like, so, so, something around that they're about to actually do it for real. And they're just look, looking for some pointers to, uh, to make sure it's engaging and fun and all that sort of thing. I mean, what would you just say? I would say stage one, think back to your favorite improv comedian. If you've ever seen anybody do improv, because that is 100% what virtual teaching is. Sure, you have your basic list of what you think you're going to get through. Sure, you have all the specific topics and objectives in this lesson plan. However, because technology is what it is, it might throw you a monkey wrench any moment, and you'd better be ready to catch that wrench and start, uh, <laughs> start adjusting. So think back to, to improv and utilize improv skills. Stage two, I would say, don't forget that your audience their eyeballs are the camera. And here in the States, we, uh, David Letterman was my favorite. Well, I guess, I don't know if his show was in Australia or not, but David Letterman was one of my favorite shows to watch because of the way that he set up his jokes. 
he would do the whole setup of the joke, just looking around at the entire audience. But then when he said the punchline, he would look directly at the camera. And the feeling was that, ooh, he's looking right at me. He's looking into my eyes. And you don't have to do that the whole presentation, but I'm so used to doing it now, Ben, we're not even recording this with visual, but I'm looking at the camera <laughs> as I speak because it really does make your audience feel like, oh, the presenter is looking at me. Yeah, and totally so. So, I mean, like, absolutely, the, you know, looking into the camera to get their perspective, but also looking directly into their room space itself and say, hey, see that hat on the shelf? Or, hey, that's a odd sweater. You with a blue sweater. Like, it's that, that type of thing, um, it breaks down this 2D space that we're presenting into. Um, you know, they, you have to see it from there and they're consuming it from a TV screen or a data projector or their device in some way. It does seem removed. But as soon as you mm -hmm. start calling out their actual items in their space, suddenly they go, oh, hang on, no, you, you can totally see me properly. You can, uh, this is really live, properly live, especially with a, um, a large audience with multiple um, connections. It can make a big difference because the, um, sometimes it can feel like it's just a pre-recorded session, a streamed session. Um, it, it, it can be silly. I mean, I, uh, I mean even a, when I run a, a multi-point program, I might actually, rather than calling it so-and-so school and so-and-so school is the meeting spaces, I'll actually say, right, I, I'm going to call this funny hat school and I'm going to call that red sock school. Like, whatever. It's silly. <laughs> but it, it just means that people are, you know, it, it yep. breaks, has a bit of fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And remembering that they will do that to you as well. I can't even tell you the number of programs I've taught here from my apartment. And something happens, be, like one of my cats walks past behind me. And then the kids will say, "Woo, what's that cat <laughs> in the background? Absolutely. And actually, and this is, this is a uh, audio medium, but uh, Lee does have a, an amazingly cool cat gym. <laughs> behind. <laughs> and, uh, and it's been used to great effect, which is very, very cool. Uh, look, I, Lee, thank you very much for taking the time to have a bit of a chat with me uh, this afternoon slash this morning. Uh, and um, there'd be people here who'd love to find out more about your museum and what you get up to, maybe a bit more about virtual uh, classes and all that sort of thing. How would they get in touch? Oh, I would love for everyone to stop by and take a look at the website for our museum, which is www.cmnh.org. And because I'm so used to doing this on the phone with people now, I'm going to do it again with the words. Ready? www.c as in cool, m as in massive, n as in natural, and h as in whoo, boy, that's going to be great, <laughs> .org. Um, and you can take a look at CMNH at home because that particular page is showing the tons of resources we have tossed up for all the folks out there handling themselves in quarantine. That's so cool. And, uh, and that, by the way, and this is, again, another simple engagement thing. You can't help yourself, Lee. <laughs> it's simply just um, describing your acronym in a fun way. It, 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 it does matter. <laughs> it is very, very If I'm cool. not having fun, nobody else is. Come on now, Ben. <laughs> uh, exactly right. And it is always, by the way, guys, I will, as usual, put this in the show notes. So if you haven't got that, uh, totally so. And we'll put in additional links there and all that sort of thing to be able to help support what you're doing. And so here's the deal. You don't have to just be in Ohio to connect. I believe, Lee, you've been doing stuff right across the country and beyond. Oh, we have. CILC.org is where we advertise all of our programs as well as on our website. And I know that Ben advertises his fantastic chat with an Aussie program with them. I've watched him do it. It was a fun program. And uh, boy, that's a dynamite site for finding content. So yeah, get out there virtually and take a look around. My favorite search move is to think, 
what is it that I would really like to see from just like pie in the sky, you know, no holds barred. What is the coolest thing I'd like to see if someone is doing virtually and just try searching that on the internet. And it's kind of amazing how many content providers are out there providing really awesome stuff. No, absolutely. CILC, Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration, has over 200 museums, galleries, authors, historians, you name it, they're there. And it's really cool. And right across all over the place, definitely check that out. Haley, thank you very much for uh, joining me. I mean, really, uh, hats off to you and the team. I know you're moving into virtual summer camp very soon, uh, which is going to be a whole bunch of fun. And uh, look, well done with the programs that you've been doing for years. And uh, well done for also, um, you know, just doing that awesome work you've been doing throughout this crazy period. And uh, I know you're doing an awesome job. Well done. Well, I'm going to do a shout out right back to you, Ben, because folks, right before we uh, started recording this podcast, we got Ben up so early in the morning, what was it, 6.30 your time, so we could pester you about virtual camps because you had just finished running some. And we wanted to talk to some of the experts out there and find out what challenges they had dealt with. So thank you for being a team player in this wonderful virtual adventure that we're all living, Ben. No, absolutely. No, much appreciated. And, and, and totally, I'm always there to help. And uh, as usual, guys, if you need to know anything further, just, you know, you know drop me a line and I'll totally help you out. <laughs> all the good, all good. So uh, look, have a great afternoon and I'll catch you another time. Thanks, Ben. You have a great morning yourself. Bye-bye. This is the Physics and Podcast. We're excited about science. Grab a copy of our new book, Be Amazing, How to Teach Science the Way Primary Kids Love, from our website. Just search Be Amazing Book. It's available in hard copy and ebook. Go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F I Z I C S. There we go. We just heard from Lee Gamble, who you can really tell loves what she gets up to. And seriously, check out the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. They do some really, really cool stuff. And if you can't get there, well, we've got video conferencing, and you can totally connect with Lee no matter where you are. So, how are you going to do that? Go to their website, type in Cleveland Museum of Natural History into the search engine, you'll find their website, head on over there at cmnh.org and forward slash IVC and you'll find their regular IVC programs, their interactive video conferencing programs. And you can check them out what they've been doing. And by the way, they're running summer camps, they're cyber camps. So if you go to cmnh.org forward slash learn forward slash summer hyphen camps or just type in summer camps uh, Cleveland Museum of Natural History, you'll find the links and you'll be able to find out how to connect with them. So uh, I hope you got a bit out of this chat. I just honestly was just reminiscing, just yeah, heading over to Cleveland. She got to show me around the area. It's really, really, really cool right around that space. It's definitely her haunt, her, <laughs> her place that she gets to check out all the time. And uh, it is well worth visiting if you ever get a chance to head on over to Ohio. But uh, anyway, that is enough of this particular episode. I hope you're having a fantastic afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is that you're doing. And I hope you're enjoying whatever it is that you're doing. So anyway, enough from me. You've been listening to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education, and I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au